What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Bibla Boys, the Bible Boys, with me, James, and you, Pip. <laughs> We're back for another week, ready to get into the Bible, as we do almost every week. We have breaks every now and then, but you know what? I don't know when our next break is on the horizon. Why stop? what's going so well right now. Mmm, mmm. As Thomas the Tank Engine once said, you don't stop a good train when it's rolling. That's right. And then Percy, his, uh, you know, other friend, the, the train, went toot toot. No, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, James, I want to uh, ask you, last week you said that you had a sermon that you preached on Sunday. Um, now that it's come and gone, I want to ask, you, you made the goal uh, that you'd talk for 25 minutes. Yes. And, and no less than 25, uh, no more than 25 minutes. And other people were trying to hold you accountable to that. How'd you go with that? I failed in uh, keeping it at 25 minutes. I got to 25 minutes and 28 seconds. Oh, okay. So, t- okay, 28 seconds. That's okay. That's, that's within the margin of error, I'd say. <laughs> is there? You know how, like, with essays, you got a plus minus 10%? I think is so. there? Well, what is it for sermons? Um, 5% or, or yeah, plus <laughs> minus 5% of the time. So, 5% of 25 is... Yes. Um, let me, hold on, I got this. It's one twentieth, <laughs> so it'd be one point two. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. One one point two of uh, whatever. Uh, so you you would have had. Oh, uh, you would have had here. Okay, here it is. Wait, wait. This, one point two. What do you yeah. mean? Sorry, I just said yes. What do you mean by one point two? So what I'm saying is five percent of twenty five. Yes. Is 1.2. No, that doesn't make sense. Hold on, hold on. Let's bring it back. Five percent of 25. Yes, it is. Is 1.2? Is it not? Am I wrong? I'll be honest with you. I'm so amused by your facial expression right now. I have not even bothered to do the calculation in my head. Let's just assume it is 1.2 for a second. Yeah, sure. And let's say when we say 0.2, we're talking. We're not talking. We're talking in terms of. You got to convert that into minutes and seconds, right? Yes. So, 0.2 of a minute is obviously... Um... <laughs> Alright, 5% pip. I just did the calculation. 12, one... 12, 12 seconds. It, no, you one... go, you go. Um, it... Okay, I'm totally going to botch this on air. It's 1 minute 15 seconds, isn't it? Isn't that 5% of... Um, 12 25? seconds. 12 seconds is 5% of... A minute? No, it's it's one-fifth of a minute. So that's 20%. Now, I'm no Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that should be... Str- Let me just stress that to our listeners, okay? I'm not Einstein. And so these calculations might be a little bit off, okay? But the point of the point of it is this. James, you were within the margin of error. You didn't... Uh, you, if you were 26 minutes or 27 minutes... Not so good, but yes. you, you oh, you're very kind, and that's the main point. Yes, but um, no, thank you. You're very, you're very kind. So now, twenty-five look- minutes, twenty-eight seconds. I think the twenty-eight seconds was also because I went off script 
at some points because you know you're there you say something you go I, I there's there's something i can add here a little flourish a little line here a little extra repetition now but, yes. let me just ask this you do you do q a at st paul's right yes how long did your q a go for <laughs> uh we did it in uh we had morning church north rocks we had afternoon church we had night church I, I didn't time how long they went, but I think that the afternoon church Q&A went the longest. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, Well, good. how do you feel the sermon went? How do you evaluate, like, what, what is your, what's normally your feeling uh, right after giving a sermon the next kind of few hours afterwards? How do you judge whether you, it was good or not, you know? Yeah, well, good do you question. Ever, do you ever I, feel that you nailed it or... I'd love to hear what you think about this as well. But I think that after, if you're evaluating it after you've given the sermon, what you're evaluating is the presentation of it. The content you would have seen already beforehand, wouldn't you? Mm. Um, and I think that you can tell sometimes, uh, well, you should be able to tell about the content before you present it. And so I think that uh, the way in which I think about after preaching and thinking um, about the the how I reflect on it, it's did I hit the, the, the beats that I wanted to hit? Did I um, communicate across what I wanted to communicate? And for that, I'm very dependent on looking at the connect cards. I'm dependent on asking what some other people think. Um, the only thing I really can tell is whether or not I presented the way that I hoped to be able to present. Mm. Does that resonate with you there? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, um, I don't know, sometimes I find it hard to judge whether some, you know, a, a piece of content or an illustration or something I've, I've written is actually going to be helpful or not. Mm. And I can, I, you do get a sense of that in the moment as you're saying it, as you look around and you see people uh, or, yes. you know, um, now obviously when you're doing it live stream, you uh, you, you don't get that feedback. Mm. But even as it comes out, sometimes if you've got a camera person or, you, you know, or if you've got other people in the room, sometimes even just the vibe that they give off can be helpful. That's true. That, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Yeah. And, and in this time when, you know, at least the way we're doing it at church, I'm basically looking at this, like, one camera, you know, and there's no one behind it. You can't really tell. I can't really tell. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I'm I'm um I'm reading um Charles Spurgeon's lectures to my students at the moment, and um I was watching this John Piper video on Spurgeon, mm -hmm. and he was saying that when when Spurgeon spoke, he could lift his voice and speak to something like twenty thousand people without a microphone. Yeah. In open air and people could hear him. I'm sure there were plenty of good vibes back in his day when he was doing that. I, I, I feel like open, there's no bad vibes with open air preaching. If someone's, if someone's open air preaching, you know, generally the vibes are going to be good. That's my mm. little theory. Nice. There you go. Um, I totally agree with you, by the way, about the, you know, sometimes an illustration just falls flat when you give it and there's people and their eyes just seem glazed over or there's that furrowed brow and they look a bit confused. Although that being said, you know how some people, their concentrating face is a confused looking face. 
So you can't always tell exactly. Mm. <laughs> yes. But anyway, that was me. Thank you for asking. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, 25-28... Uh, landing the 25 minutes was not the main goal. The main goal was just to be shorter so that... Um, you know, we got to respect people's attention spans online. And, you know, you could go for 50 minutes, but if they only retain, you know, 20 of it, then that's 30 minutes that in one sense is wasted. Not because what you're saying isn't helpful, but because it's not being communicated to people and they're not able to, to hear and, and retain what it is that you're saying. Mm, mm. We don't preach for entertainment or performance. We preach for transformation. Mm that people would meet and, and hear God's word. Mm. What about you, Pip? How have you been going this week? Yeah, I've been going, going good. Um, submitted another assignment, which was good. Had to, oh, what was it on? Um, it was a doctrine assignment. It was a 1,000-word reflection on John Calvin's three chapters on providence in um, mm. the Institutes. Um yeah just really really enriching and uh yeah i one one of the one of my thoughts uh, reading through john calvin's um thinking about providence he talks about he talks about the um the christian the right christian response to um god's sovereignty um and he's and he was saying um you know, God wills, uh, like in one action, God, God can will, uh, for, um, God, God wills and man wills in, in the same action. Um, and I don't, I don't want to get this mixed up, but it, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, when, when someone wills for good, God might not be willing it at all so i might will for something like someone not to get sick but and that's a good that comes from a good intention um and but god might not will for that to happen so the person would get sick um at the same time i might will for something from bad motivations like i want this person to get sick so i'm going to poison their food or something but at the same time, God wills that same event, but from God's good purposes. And so in the one event, there's, um, you know, evil from me, but goodness from God, um, which I found very interesting mm. um, to kind of to chew on. I think it's interesting, like he drills, he, he drills down into... Um, you know, each he is very comprehensive in his use of the Bible. Whenever he talks about a topic, he's, he looks at all different sorts of passages, and he brings up passages which seem to contradict the topic at hand. Like he talked about fate in Ecclesiastes, in talking about providence, interesting. But he, um, uh, I feel like there are there are still questions that are left unanswered that he doesn't kind of tackle. Um, uh, Maybe it's just that in that section, but he doesn't address like where does evil originate, um, and yeah, the idea of you know, does God decide what man decides? Does God decide what people decide? That's another issue. 
um, I feel. But um, no, it's very good to just get a little uh, dip, dip the toes in the water of Calvin and um, looking forward to reading more as the years go on. Nice. Oh, there you go. It seems like it's quite a deep essay. Glad that it like it sounds really good that it was a reflection essay, trying to reflect on it rather than you're trying to make your own case. I um, uh, googled when did Calvin write the Institutes. He was 27 years old when he wrote the Institutes. Yeah, that's right. And here I am, like almost a 27 year old, trying to write a thousand words on the Institutes, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what what's going on? What's this guy doing? Go on. And then, it, and then, and then, um, the a guy that I was in the study hall with said, "Do you think if John Calvin had Netflix, and YouTube, Facebook, you know, would he be pumping out the institutes? It'd probably be a pamphlet, wouldn't it?" <laughs> That's a very good point. We fill our time with lots of different things to consume rather than produce, don't we? Mm. Yeah, mm. and and uh, and um, it's I'm just just thinking about this. Like these guys, they're so young. They they see because we've been talking about Mark Driscoll. They these guys see no issue with like pumping out uh, volumes of their own thoughts. Now, yes, it is in response to what's going on around them, like trying to reform uh, the church and and protesting against the Catholic Church and um, abuses and. Um, heresies and all the, all this sort sort of thing um but even augustine um used to stay up until the early hours of the morning and he he wouldn't um he he hired scribes and he just kind of said stuff and he got people to write it down you know um kind of dictation software except the software's people you know um I guess that is what a scribe is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you know, Pip, that before dictation software, there were actually people who would write down what you were saying? That's that just seems like they should have uh, they should have just worked on the software <laughs> <laughs> back in Augustine's back day. Back in Augustine's day. Anyway, anyway, I'm rambling. Hey, actually, just just worth asking. At college, do they call it Augustine or Augustine? Um, I don't know. Augustine, Augustine. Tomato, tomato, potato, <laughs> potato. I don't know. That's it. That's uh, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, it's, it, it's been a good week and good to get that assignment done. So, the next one's due in, like, 1st of October. So, I've got a bit of a break from due assessments. Um, other than that, um, went for a run the other day. Almost, uh, well, you know, it's getting harder and harder. <laughs> Yeah. That's right. Yes. I feel so unfit right now. Mm. Feel quite sedentary, even though I you know, try to move around a bit. Stretch, you know, these are good things to do. Walk, that's a good thing to do. Do anyway. you do you use Strava like the other some of the other guys? No, I don't. Should I should I get on that? Mm. Make make lots of friends on Strava, compare how much we're walking. You you could do that. I mean I've tried using Strava, but I it's I'm not I can't be honest with you know, on Strava. The thing like I'll I'll run my guts out and then the comment I'll post it and the title will be leisurely 
afternoon jog. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like on the verge of collapsing and passing out. Is that right? Yeah. Well, nowadays, like I've thought about using Strava, but I've just, I'm like, there's an, I don't want to post what I'm running and the pace I'm running. Like, it's just too embarrassing. So, yeah. That's it. You know what? You and I should um, get on Strava and then when we go for walks or runs, we should spell out Bible verses in the neighborhood. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good idea. I mean, that, it sounds like a lot of effort. I don't know how many... Uh, you get maybe a word out of me. You get maybe Jesus wept. I'd pick the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, cover that verse. Yeah, yeah. do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Anyway, speaking of, well, Bible verses, you and I should get into the Bible. Sounds good. Let's do it. James, uh, what have you been reading this week? Well, following your um, choice, I have been reading John's Gospel nice. this week. So I've been enjoying that. Uh, and I just wanted to point something out that really struck me this week, especially in light of the fact that, you know, we've spent the last few weeks at some pause in the book of Joel. I've really enjoyed being in the book of Joel, just immersing myself in the mind of prophets, um, getting into the... the, the um, yeah, the prophecies the promises anyway i was in john chapter 2 this week and you've got the wedding at cana and so in john chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 jesus is at this wedding his mum's there his disciples are there verse 3 when the wine was gone jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine woman why do you involve me jesus replied my hour has not yet come now, I've heard multiple sermons on this. I think one of my favorite wedding sermons uh, that I used to hear uh, was on John 2, um, you know, the wedding at Cana. And I've heard different explanations about this, but it struck me anew this time reading John chapter 2, having been in the book of Joel, because in the book of Joel and in the Minor Prophets, one of the curses that comes on the land is that the vines are devastated through the locusts. Um, so the land is devastated, the, the fruit of the trees and the grass and the vines, they're just completely taken away by the locusts. And then in the promises of restoration, God promises that he will bring new wine to the people. At the end of Joel chapter 3, there's this promise of new wine as well. Um, this idea that the mountains will sort of gush with new wine, which is a sign that the vines will be overflowing with fruitfulness again. It's a, it's a sign of the picture of restoration God is bringing. And so, having heard that, seen that, John chapter 2 makes so much more sense in terms of this reference, that um, Mary goes to Jesus saying, they have no more wine. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And so I think that what's going on here is, yeah, there's this reference to the fact that in the restoration of the kingdom, which is what Jesus brings, um, well, sorry, the establishment of the kingdom, the restoration of God's people, he will bring new wine. Um, but not yet, because his hour in, in John John's gospel is referring to his hour of glorification, which is comprised of his death and resurrection and his ascension is um, implicit um, uh, in, in John's gospel as well. 
So I was just really struck reading this passage. And then he still, he still does give them wine. And this wine is pointed out to be amazing, right? So verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus's glory, his hour has not yet come. This restoration, this fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. And yet even the wine that he produces now, that's, that's not even the final wine, that new wine is already better than anything that the people could produce themselves. And so, mm. anyway, that, that really struck me this week, reading John chapter 2. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, it's a great, like, it's a great, um, you don't get this in other Gospels, this story. Uh, it's a great story. Um, I wonder if there's any kind of symbolic uh, significance of the the jars that he uses the cere- the ceremonial washing jars um, and the fact that he uh, fills them with water they turn to wine um, and I because uh, like uh, in my mind there's lots of mixed imagery over between um, wine and blood mm. um, and so I, I do wonder in, in what sense does this foreshadow jesus um you know ultimate purification through through his blood Mm. um i wonder if there's any connection to be made there um but yes and and also just uh people have pointed out like um the the goodness of this story in 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 showing jesus you know willingness to serve and um, desire to like bring joy and bring life through what he's able to do. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. There's lots of dimensions to this passage. Um, yeah, aren't there? There's lots here. Mm. So, anyway, that's what I've been struck by again. Oh, and actually, just worth sharing that. And then the the rest of John chapter two is this you know reference about the temple and Jesus calling his his own body the temple. That's also just so linked to Joel as well, where the end of the book, the triumphant victory of the book of Joel is God dwelling with his people. Mm. Um, And Jesus here is God with his people dwelling amongst them. Um, And he himself is the temple. So Mm. anyway, yeah, just so much here. And I think just a broader point, which I think our listeners can really benefit from, is seeing that, you know, you can read the New Testament and we should read the New Testament. We can understand a lot of what's going on here. But being able to go back and see all these images and themes from the Old Testament, um, it just accentuates our appreciation of the New Testament. Mm. Sort of like, um, you know, you could watch a season or a series finale of a TV show and you should be able to get, you know, the general gist of what's happening and whatnot. That's fine. 
but the the moments and the, the developments and the ending will not make as much sense or be as satisfying if you don't have all of that backstory. Mm. I think that that is so true. I I you know even the concept of a Christ or a Messiah is a Jewish idea. You know mm. what I mean? Like every, every culture has the idea of like a say what does it mean to be go from the 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 problem to the solution. But the idea of a, like a Christ is a Jewish idea, um, and so yeah, I do I do wonder like, you know, how did I become a Christian if I didn't really understand the Old Testament? Because um, I don't I, when I became a Christian, I don't really think I understood the Old Testament properly, um, or I, I understood it very superficially. I guess in a sense I still do, but. You know, even more so then, um, and so yeah, I do wonder. Like, is there something intrinsic in us that when we hear, Je- you know, Jesus died for your sin and rose again, that there is something in people they understand what that means, or do you do you need the Old Testament scriptures to actually understand what that means? Mm. Yeah, yeah, ah, that's a really really good point, and I think that the it. On one level, some people don't want to wade into this. They don't want to. They just go, look, let me just try to tell you what you need to know. That's it. But you're missing a huge amount. I mean, the cons- and, and you can import any notions you want of what sacrifice could be, saviour could be, God, who God is. Um, yeah, and which, which could do a lot of damage. <laughs> to what it is that we believe. Um, anyway, yeah, just affirming what you were saying. Mm. Um, I also, yeah, I became a Christian reading Luke's Gospel. Not much Old Testament knowledge myself. Does that mean that my, my conversion was, was not genuine because I didn't have a huge understanding of the Old Testament? No. Mm. Um, yeah. All yours, right? Yours. Mm. Anyway. That's what I've been reading. Going to continue on in John's Gospel. Tonight at Youth, we're finishing off the book of Titus. So looking forward to to doing that with the youth as well. Nice. But Pip, what about you? What have you been reading in the Bible? Um, So I just finished Exodus. Um, Looking forward to getting to Leviticus. But um, no, I just finished Exodus. And I just wanted to talk about the final... Um, chapter God's glory filling the temple so why don't we go to Exodus chapter 40 Exodus 40 and then towards the end Um, now I don't think I've got any profound insight here but I just want us to imagine uh, what it would have been like in this moment and the you know that the Israelites really did build a temple. They built a temple, and um, we, and God's glory filled it. And just how profound that is—that God's glory filled the temple. You know, um, wh- what does that even mean? Anyway, let me read. Let me read um, from verse. Um, I'll read from verse 33. Exodus chapter 40. Then Moses set up 
the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So... um, I said temple earlier, I guess like tabernacles, the the right word to use. But um, so they finish the work and the glory of the Lord fills it. Um, a cloud descends on it and fi- fire is in the cloud in at night. All this kind of like just imagery. Um, but I think, one, I mean, one thing I've been thinking about through reading Genesis in Exodus is there does there is this pattern of like creation and then filling. Um, you get that in the Genesis account, the first the six days of creation, it's divided half and half into kind of creating and then filling. Mm. Um, and even when God God creates man to man and woman to multiply and fill and subdue the earth but not only that god creates man and fills man with his breath Mm -hmm. and so creating and filling and creating and filling and i guess even like the creation of the law in a sense is like a moral uh like he's created the people of his people and he's now filled them given them uh a knowledge of his moral law expressed and now is created the tabernacle and has filled it but i guess the question like we and and in in every single case it is mysterious what it actually means what does it mean for mankind to multiply and subdue the earth does that mean just to become widespread and populated what does it mean for god's breath to be in us what is spirit what is soul what what are those categories um, like, you know, God's glory filling the tabernacle. To be honest, I, d- I don't really know what that means. Um, mm. um, the Israelites had a sense of what it meant and knew what it meant, but I, I, I feel like I still am wrestling with that and I don't quite know what it means for God's glory. What is God's glory? I mean, we did see, um, we discussed last week about God's goodness, and, the, and but expressed in terms of attributes and characteristics, moral character, mo, uh, moral characteristics, not physical characteristics. Um, yeah. So, again, as I read through, um, I guess what I'm left with is a sense of awe, mm. um, and not necessarily a clear. Um, a clear picture of uh, what it all means necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a somewhat 
irreverent comment to make here, which is, um, did you hear about this church uh, a few years ago that um, was trying to convince its members that they could summon the glory of God? No, I didn't hear Um, about that. So what they basically did was they put smoke machines in the air conditioning vents and they would put out like a tuft or a puff of smoke and they would fill it with gold glitter. And then during singing, the, the smoke cloud would come out and they'd go, oh, it's the glory of God. Mm. And um, people would be like, oh, it's amazing. And then like they would try to touch it and they'd say, oh, I've got gold on my hands. Um so when you were saying, you know, what is the glory of God? Mm. I was going, hmm. the gold and the the gold the golden, sprinkles. That's right. The golden puffed of smoke is yeah. uh, assuredly what it is not. Yeah. And that that's pretty insidious, isn't it? No, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, any any anything that's knowingly done performatively and manipula- manipulatively like that is uh, is is pretty awful. Um, but when I read the glory of the Lord filled the temple, for some somehow there is an image in my mind of some kind of air, wind or cloud or some kind of a yeah, some kind of glow filling the temple, yeah, uh, filling the tabernacle. I you know I w- yeah. yeah, and I don't think that's wrong because we do see the language of cloud here, don't we? You know, verse mm. thirty four that the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse thirty five. The cloud had settled on it, so there is this cloud idea, um, and also it the, the the brightness of it would make sense because you think about verse thirty-eight, right? Uh, the cloud of the Lord was of the tabernacle, uh, tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night. So the cloud would have been, you know, lit mm. up. Um, yes. So I don't think it's wrong to have that sort of image in your head. Yes, um, I mean. I I guess there are two main options that I'm weighing up in my mind at, at the moment, um, because as Christians we think about the te- uh, the temple and we think about animal sacrifices, and I think we very quickly say, well, Jesus Jesus' death fulfills the ceremonial law, and so we can do away with that. But let's just, just hold on. There was a big period of history where, for God's people, um, ceremony was key to their worship of God. Think about that, where we're actually physically going to the temple, physically killing animals, was a big part of their worship of God, mm. as prescribed by God. And as a Christian living today, that's it seems kind of mind... It seems weird. Um, weird on a couple levels, Uh we wonder the mechanics of it. We we wonder the motive of it. Why does God want that? We also wonder the cultural uh, coincidence that other cultures did the exact same thing and had temples and um, you know um, sacrificed animals. And so, one option is that that's exactly right, and God did want that all of that, and God did um, God li- God was in the temple, and God did kind of care you know god was looking at the animal sacrifices and was kind of has this kind of spiritual economy of life and death and um the another option is that all of those all the ceremonial law was like him saying my hand and my back and my face it's it's anthropomorphic 
uh, instruction to kind of to to give people an idea of what God is like, to give mm. people a sense of what God like, um, and so there is, uh, you know, is it possible that there, you know, uh, you know, and and what what is the implication of that? Mm. Did did is yeah. was God really in the temple or not? Yes. Was that was that was that something he wanted people to believe in order to have an effect on them, which was a right effect? Yeah, um, I don't think you can get away from the fact that there is some sense in which God is in the temple, and mm. uh, sorry, God is in the tent, and He's in, you know, filled the tabernacle. I mean, even think about you just go one verse after this, Leviticus chapter one verse one, you get the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Um. Mm. One of the ways that I've sought to think a bit about this in terms of, excuse me, um, uh, like how this works, God is everywhere, and yet at times and places and in areas, God reveals himself more manifestly to his people. And so here, one way you can think about it is, you know, is God... Amongst his people, yes. But in terms of them being able to see him, to, to know his presence, that's what this is. It's him manifesting himself, his glory, his presence, uh, in and amongst his people in the tabernacle um, so that they could know his presence and see his presence and be guided by his presence, as we see here in Exodus 40, verse 38 as well. So what is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is the is is the is is God revealing Himself more? His so that we can per, so that the Israelites could perceive His presence. Uh, that's there. Mm. Um, it's not that He's less um, present in other places, but He is revealing His presence more clearly to them. Right, right. So I guess like a question then is. Um, is his glory filling the tabernacle and later, you know, the temple? Is that is uh, are we to think of that as like um, God's substance? Because from what I understand, God has no substance; he has no physical uh, properties. Um, Jesus is the first instance of God taking on particles, you know. Mm. Um, and yet, God appeared as the as the burning bush, you know, or the bush that appeared like it was burning but was not actually burning. <laughs> yeah, sure, yes. Um, and so, the burning bush itself was not God. Um, the cloud itself over the temple, uh, the tabernacle, is not God. Stop me if I say maybe incorrect. I think no, that's, no, no, no. Yes. I, I think you're. I, th- I think we've got to be. We're, we're, we're pushing up against language here, aren't we? Because mm. there's a sense in which they are identified. They are God, uh, and yet to think that a bush could contain the presence of God, or a building, or, or you know, a, a, a tent made with human hands could contain the presence of God. That that's naive, right? And so, it. I think you're right what you said a few minutes ago about its language here that is being used to help us understand what's going on. Like, you know, the, the nostrils of God, Exodus 15, the back of God, Exodus 34. Mm. Um, and here, you know, the cloud, the glory of God, 
Like, that is not... It, it's real, because it really is God, and yet also it's pushing up against the limits of language here, because it's mm. not as if God is only confined to the tent itself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, one yeah one thing I'm wrestling with is, like, does God, con- like, he, he condescends, you know, in the use of language, but does he also condescend in the instructions that he gives? Yeah, right. I get you. So, like, meeting the people so that they can do things or see things or obey things that yeah. otherwise they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, like, like make the priestly garments of a particular sort of gold, of, of purple, of, you know... Um, could it be that, that has those instructions have absolutely zero spiritual effect at all in the heaven, in the heavenly realms or in God's mind or um, you know for sin they have no effect. The only effect they have is the impression, uh, the effect that they have on the human heart, the person who actually receives the law and then does it. And that's the whole that's the whole point of it. Yeah. In a sense. God, 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 God gives those commands not because He cares necessarily about those things being done, but because He cares about the heart and how it's affected when it does it. Yes and no. I, I think, I mean, yes, in the sense that Exodus twenty-eight, for example, like you know the priestly garments. It's interesting where He says, Exodus twenty-eight verse two: Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. That's, so, yes, in the sense that the reason that's given here in Exodus 28 is that it has a benefit for Aaron. Right, yes. So, but, but is it like, um, so read, that, read that verse again, sorry. Exodus 28 verse 2, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Right, right. But is that make, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron so that you will see him as more dignified and respectable and the people will and they, their hearts will be changed to revere him as their leader as they ought to? Or is it because objectively he'll have more reverence and honor by uh, doing that, by having those garments? I'm always, tempt- I'm always tempted to say, what's the difference? <laughs> well, I, I maybe not in in terms of the. Um, I I think sometimes when I sometimes when we read these verses, we think God cares about the color of the shirt. He doesn't, right? Well, I want to say he does because he commands what is good. He does. Yeah, and but it's here in his good law. But does he not? He he cares about it because of what it achieves in the in the hearts of other people, not because he thinks gold is better than another color. I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, I'm just trying to wrestle with this. No, I and, get you. I get and, what you're trying to say. And, yeah. and if you follow that line of thought, it extends to other things like animal sacrifice. That when God says, um, you know, sacrifice this sort of animal, one without blemish, it's not because when you sacrifice an animal with a blemish, God is like, oh, <laughs> but that it forces the human to sacrifice something that's of value, of most value to them, the, la- the animal without blemish. And so it forces them to have to, it actually changes their heart and mm. their relation with God. No, I get that. I get what you're trying to say. And I, I think there's a degree of truth to that where, where you see it's, it's, 
it's the heart of the person who's doing it. One thing I do think we've got to be careful of, though, is not everything has a utility to it or, a, or an instrumental purpose to it. Mm. I mean, the goodness of creation is, is because it benefits humans, but it was good before humans, and it's good anyway. As in, the goodness of creation is that it declares the glory of God, not because every single aspect has a utility that can be beneficial to humans. That sort of makes sense. Yeah, I mean that's that in itself is a is a fascinating realm. I mean, it's like the it's you know if someone claps, what's if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, if 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 no, the answer is no. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, if 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 God, you know, if God created a great uh, rock formation, which you know, uh, thirteen billion years ago, you know, ten billion years ago. Um, was not ever observed by any creature and has changed dramatically since then, um, did it in any way glorify God? Yeah, I get you. I get you. Or, or, you know, and, and I guess another question is, does God, does God delight in these things um, in, in any kind of aesthetic sense separate from the the emotional effect that they have on the human heart. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You get, you get a bunch of verses that, that lead us that way. But one that comes to mind for me is 1 Kings chapter 6, when he's talking to Solomon about how he needs to, to build the temple. Um, I'm just trying to find the verse here, because there's, there's a really, really interesting verse that, um, so that leads us in this way. Uh, can't seem to find it right now but essentially it's one of the things one of the reasons uh, that's given for why something needs to be done the way it is is for beauty it's for the sake of beauty um, but for the sake of beauty for whose sake for god's sake or for people's sake both right because we both we get to enjoy god's creation but I, I, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say, I think, well, things can be... I think the underlying assumption behind this way of thinking as well is the idea that if something is good, is it good for God or is it good for us? Or if something is true, or if something is beautiful, let's say, is it beautiful in God's sight or is it beautiful in our sight? But really, shouldn't we say that all of these things about what is good and true and beautiful, what we think of as good and true and beautiful is always secondary to what God sees first as good and true and beautiful. That if something is beautiful for us, it's because it's beautiful for God. And so the right way we should think about this is that, well, in its first instance, does God see it as good? Does God see it as beautiful? And thus we would see it as good and beautiful, or should see it as good and beautiful as well. Mm, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to actually agree with that we see things as significant that god might not see as significant necessarily for ex for example like i come back to the color of the shirt thing humans place significance in colors does god like or is or is that an attribute that only pe that humans have in order to aid us to 
direct our affections to God? Does God give us certain attributes that he doesn't have as a, as a um, what's the word, as a vehicle to aid our affection of God? Mm. Uh, anyway. No, well, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to answer that by saying, no, I think that there are, there are things like color that God delights in, in it of himself, without its utility that it has for us. Yes, which if God if God has opinions about colors, that is uh, blows my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, uh, not 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 positively or negatively, it just is strange. Is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's foreign to me in terms of what I think God cares about. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we we talked about this sometime last year about flowers. You remember that? Mm. We talked about whether God cares about flowers um, because of the flowers or because of what the flowers could represent or the value that you could bring to another person if you bring them a flower. Mm. Yeah. And I think that we, where we landed was... You could hear what I was saying about the value of flowers, but you're like, but I just can't really grasp that or understand that Mm. you think you're still in the same place i think so i think like god god could have um uh, you know had any kind of combination of atoms or like any you know he could have created so, so many different things to uh demonstrate his love um yeah Mm. so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All good. No anyway, uh, in- interesting discussion. Hopefully, listeners uh, find it <laughs> somewhat interesting as well. But um, uh, yeah, shall we? Shall we keep going on? Shall we do a? Um, uh, I guess who? In just a moment, I found the verse. I okay. found the verse about that I was referring to. Um, where is it? It's 2 Corinthians chapter... Sorry, not 2 Corinthians. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Um, is it chapter 3? 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Verse 6. Can you can you read that? Two chron- what do you say? 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 6? Yes. Pulled up. Oh, actually, I just realized NIV translation is a bit different to the one that I remembered it being. But that's okay. Why don't you read it? 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 6. Okay. It says, He adorned the temple with precious stones, and the gold he used was gold of Pavaim. Yes, that's it. An older translation put it as, um, and uh, he garnished the, the house or the temple with stones, or with precious stones for beauty. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really know how to read Hebrew, but this idea of adorning the temple, it's is the is the adornment of the temple for us or is the adornment of the temple because it's it's God's house, God's place. Um anyway, now I've just 
fired off a whole bunch of different thoughts in my head now. Yeah, I mean, like, just, yeah, it just the idea, because if God is, um, if God exists outside of creation, mm. and there was a time, there was, uh, you know, um, creation, let, let, you know, assuming creation is not eternally begotten of God, in the same way that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, mm-hmm. um, that there was a start point, a start in time, um, God's aesthetic taste, mm. or, you know, w- would have existed uh, beforehand, but how could it without any reference to physical things? Yeah. Anyway, that's just a another little thing. Um, Lots of we, thoughts there. Lots Let's of do thoughts. Guess Who. Let's do Guess Who. <laughs> and we'll Keep finish up with Guess Who today. Yeah, wow, we went for a long time talking about This is good, isn't it? We got we went pretty deep in this topic. And listeners, you'll see that we really don't prepare before we... No, no. <laughs> I, was I was thinking, all right, James has shared it. He's done a short one. I'll do a short one. We'll get on with some... Get on with it, but... Yeah. Yes. All good. Well, listeners, it's time for us to, to, to play Guess Who. This week... Pip is guessing. And Pip, do you want medium or easy or hard mode today? I, I want, so, like, hard. If there was another... It's not super hard, but hard, if that makes sense. Okay. Not you know how, super hard, but you know how, hard. You know how Starbucks doesn't have a small? They have, like, a medium, a large, a grande or whatever? Yes, yes, yes. I want the large... <laughs> so rule out small there's there's no easy we don't do easy unless you count jesus from last week yeah but, um, yeah. all right <laughs> all right that was oh man i i i have my brain has been racked by my failure at guess who last week it was good fun was good, good work good, good work pip all righty then uh 20 questions guess who playing along at home listeners hopefully you are pip let's do it Question number one: um, Does this uh, does this person's name get a mention in the Old Testament? No. Does this person's name get a mention in the New Testament? Yes. Okay, so this person has a name. Good deduction skills. All right. Um, <laughs> is this person a male? Yes. Is this person? mentioned in the Gospels? No. Is this person mentioned in Acts? Yes. Uh, Is this person mentioned in any of the letters of the New Testament? I don't think so, no. Ooh, okay, interesting, interesting. So we're thinking Six questions. Uh, Is this person a follower of Jesus? Yes. Um, is this person's conversion uh, told in Acts? No. Um, is this person one of the twelve disciples, or one of the thirteen disciples, or you know, I mean, the original twelve plus um, Matthias? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, was it was this person part of the original twelve disciples? 
No. <laughs> oh, what is it, Matthias? Yes. Yes. <laughs> good job. <laughs> hey, nice. That oh, was good, good job. That good was job. good. Uh, you narrowed it down well. Was that 10 questions? Yeah, 10, 11, yep. Yep. Oh, good job. Good job. I was thinking, you know, like, there's not a lot that we have here, so maybe that'll make it hard, but you got it. No, that was good. I got lucky narrowing it down to um the disciples. That was good. Good job. Good job, Pip. Um, hey, question. How are you and Self coping with lockdown right now? Yeah, I think we're going pretty well um, at the moment. I think we're glad to have some, some of these assignments out of the way. I mean, in one sense, the assignments gave us fueled each day with a sense of, like, urgency and, um, you know, got to get some stuff done and... Um, and now, you know, there's not necessarily a sense of urgency, but I, I think we're kind of like, okay, well, now we're going to catch up on some of the work that we left to the wayside when we're doing our assignments. So, um, you know, there's plenty to do. We're feeling good. Um, yeah, we're also very aware of how blessed we are um, to be in the situation we're in, in lockdown, in terms of just relatively, we live a fairly comfortable life and, um, you know, we have hobbies and we have TV shows. We have friends that we talk to, family that we talk to. Um, and yeah, the ability to just study God's word every day in depth and, and explore theology is awesome. So uh, yeah, doing well. What about you? What about you and Viv? Yeah, we're doing well, thanks. We are, we're doing really, really well. Um, I mean, you know, Zoom fatigue is real and it's hard to work and study as Viv is doing right now online, uh, but we really can't complain given, you know, we, we, we are doing well, yeah. I think that there's a lot of sadness in, in thinking about not being able to hang out with family. Mm. Um, that's been hard and saddening, um, but overall, yeah, we're doing well. We are watching um, TV right now and I've got games I can play to rest, so yeah, going well, going well. Anyway, thanks Pip for another week of the Bible Boys. We went, we did a deep dive into big topic this week. Mm. Who knows what next week could bring? That's right. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. See ya. You know, <laughs> but that was you. There you go. So James's house of corn. Jamie's corn house. Jamie's corn house. <laughs> <laughs> but That's no, cold. yes, it was um, it was a year nine project. I was like, what do, what do I put in? You know, what do I put in here? Uh, I was thinking about making a new ad, but then I went, no, I'll just I'll just put this in. I'm sure it'll be funny. Mm. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's start. Okay.